I love a beautiful lawn. You love a beautiful lawn. Everybody loves a beautiful lawn, but they don't love how long it takes and how difficult it can be. And that is where True Green comes into play because it's the easiest and most affordable way to get that beautiful lawn. Let's be real. You've got plenty of other things to do in your free time than focus on your lawn care. So let True Green take care of all of that hard work while you get to do everything else that you want to do like go play golf. Here's what you need to do. Visit truegreen.com. Okay. It allows you to do you let them do the lawn care. And if you visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, that is all guaranteed. You can trust true green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. It's truegreen.com. Get started now. Freaking first cut. Golly. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaven, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Houston Open. And joining me to break it all down, Sia Najad is here. Sia, welcome. Gentlemen, happy Daylight Savings Week. Ugh. Big, big day, big week. How long does this go for? Like three uh, or four months? I think it's six months, right? Six I months? I don't know what the rules are. Greg? I feel like it's until you know spring. Rules? It's going to be a long winter. It, it's a. Well, I, I don't know the exact. I don't know exactly when, but it's March. I want to say it's like March twenty first. March top of my head. March fourteenth. March fourteenth. There you go. Which is like uh, four months from now. Yeah. So winter. Winter is coming. Winter is here. That's that's I'm pretty Greg sure. I'm going to jump in right here. I'm pretty sure technically this is like normal time and the summer is the daylight savings time. Uh, I think yes. I'm, I could well, be completely wrong, but I feel like it's, it's funny you say that There's because a, um, so in my car, I cannot figure out how <laughs> to change the, the time, the clock. it's probably the clock button and then wait for it to blink and then change there's only there's there is in this car there's one button that changes everything and there's a lot of things it's one of the i don't know how it works i don't know how to change the clock so this is normal time so all summer long (laughs) i am an hour off and now it's actually only a couple of minutes off i think it's like six or seven minutes off these days because it changes very gradually, and it, I it I does. never have it right, so I just that's a real know. thing. Yeah, that's a real thing. <laughs> Soon it's going to be like thirty one minutes off uh, <laughs> if I have the car long enough. But yeah, so this is real time for me. The weird thing is just that it's dark. I'm coming home. It's like four. It's dark. It's dark out. So, but anyway, um, fortunately there are warmer climates than where I am, and there's still PGA Tour golf to be played. There is. Uh, This week in Houston, Texas at Memorial Park Golf Course, which, by the way, I I love a good Muni. Let's get get some more Munis out there, baby. Let's go. Public golf. You can go play this place for like $55 a round. And and it's not that easy. Winning score last year uh, was 13 under. There's some cool things about Munis. One, they can, at times, have a lot of property. Uh, and and in the design, you just have to change tees, which is really cool. And you can make it playable. There are some ways to make it playable for your everyday player and, and at the same time make it really challenging. So I've played some really good ones, and uh, this looks like it, it would be one of them if I ever got a chance to play. Yeah, this one's gotten quite a makeover. I'll share my screen here. This is my website, rickrungood.com. This is the course key stats tool and see ya. The I don't want to say it's an issue, uh, but uh, when diving into the metrics, the numbers, the regression, we really only have one year worth of 
data last year, and it was 13 under par. Carlos Ortiz getting the job done. This course went over, uh, went through a, a huge renovation uh, recently here, and and they're back at it for the first time in like 65 years since they played this golf course starting last year. So we have a very very small sample size. Uh, it's a par 70. It's going to play. It could play up to 7,400 yards, which is kind of your big boy golf course. This is going to be more difficult than what we've seen in Mayakoba and Bermuda in, in recent weeks. Uh, totally agree. Uh, I don't think, you know, and I know you weren't implying this. I don't think the shorter hitters are, are out of it necessarily, but it's definitely a big boy course. It's definitely, for me, I think the long iron play, like when you look at the distance of the par fours, the par fives, but particularly the par fours and the par threes, I think long iron play is definitely, you know, really at play here and those that excel in those departments are going to be really well suited for this course the narrative and storyline that we will hear all week long greg is that when tom doke redesigned this he consulted with brooks Kepka, which is rare. It's not often you get, you know, a, a current active golfer, whether being part of the redesign or consulting. I think we talked about this last year to be like, does this even matter? You still have to go out and play the golf course, but that is something you are going to hear countless times this week as everyone, uh, you know, moves their chips to Brooks Kepka. Right. And I definitely, you got to go back and picture how a golf course is designed. The, the one advantage Kepka will have which you can figure out as a player, especially if you have a, a great caddy, it's not hard to figure this out, but, but you'll know the concepts that Doak invited, but this isn't design a course on the golf club 2019 here, right? You're not, it's which not you're like very you're good at, which for the people who are listening at home, Greg is very good at. So he yeah, knows what he's talking about. It's, here. A, it's a secret hobby of mine. Um, <laughs> but when you do, when you design something like that, you, it, it's a video game. You can immediately test how it's going to play. But when you're building a real golf course, it, it's dirt. There's not even grass on it. So to see the pitches on the greens, first of all, they change over time. It's it's a living, breathing thing. But you, you're, you're not getting a real sense when you're designing it of how exactly it's going to play to the details that are required when you're playing in a tournament. So I, I look at that and I say zero zero advantage to Brooks Kepka. maybe, maybe a 1% advantage tops. There's, there's very little extra that he's going to have over somebody else. 1% boost to Brooks Kepka. Okay. I'm okay with that. Let's turn our attention to the cheat sheet here. Sia. And we've got, Oh boy, seven golfers over $10,000 led by Sam Burns, 11,100. Scotty Scheffler, 10,9. Sung JM is 10,7. Tony Finau is 10,6. A rejuvenated Matthew Wolf is 10,400. And we round out this tier with Cameron Smith at 10,200 and Terrell Hatton at $10,000. Even when you start assessing the top of the board, the most expensive golfers on the slate, what do you find? Well, I like a lot of these guys, which is unusual for me, but obviously the way, I mean, when you look at the 6K range here, it's really going to be hard to like stack a couple of 10K guys and make your lineups work. So uh, for me, you know, I, I'm, I probably have to narrow it down to like maybe two, maybe three that I'm going to play across a lot of tournaments. I love Cam Smith, so I'll just start towards the bottom. I mean, whether you're talking about long par fours, difficult scoring conditions, uh, putting on Bermuda, fast Bermuda. Cam Smith is just the guy, in my opinion. So I like him quite a bit. And then at the top, of course, um, I mean, Sam Burns and Sung JM, they read out really well for obvious reasons that I'm sure we're going to get into. But yeah, Cam Smith is definitely my favorite in this range. Cam Smith likely, uh, maybe I'm wrong on this, we'll find out in the next day or so, I think kind of flies under the radar a little bit just because he hasn't played all that much. He's played once since the Tour Championship. It was the CJ Cup. He finished T9. He's played great when he has played, but there's a lot of recency bias in our in our world, and I wonder how many people are going to remember that Cam Smith has been very good. So, Greg, when you start to pick apart uh, and split hairs for the top of the board, what do you end up with? Well, Sam, um, well, Sam Burns is a, a very clear choice, uh, but on, uh, on Cam Smith, cause I, I do think this is important. And he was one of the three guys I circled the short game this week seems to be really important. And I was going through some of the, some of the play last year and how guys fared. And even though you have names like Hideki Matsuyama and, uh, well, Carlos Ortiz who won Hideki Matsuyama, Dustin Johnson, who came in second 
um, amongst these players, they had really good short game weeks and their around the green game was tested a little bit more and they, they really showed out. So if you look at the guys who did really well in this event last year, there are some big hitters and some ball strikers. Remember they were getting ready for masters. Mm-hmm. So it was a different scenario last year, but their short games were, were very important. Their putting was very important. And, um, and, and that speaks directly to Cam Smith. So I love everything that I see out of Cam Smith in this range. Um, and I think at the same time, Oh, I got to Well, there's one more filter I got to click here, but, um, but, but the, the short game that he's displayed, not just in the, in the recent time, but throughout basically all year last year, you see a lot more green than you do anything else. And the putting goes in the same direction. Uh, and he still has some, he, he's got plenty of distance. He's, he is plenty long. So I don't worry about that by any means. And I, I think he's a great play and under the radar, but, but Sam Burns, Sam Burns is still the guy in this range. And I'm going to try to find a way to highlight him in many of my lineups. First of all, it's great to see that he's the top ranked player, yeah. uh, which mm. I think is well-deserved but probably unexpected to a lot of guys. So I wonder if, if people stay away because it, he feels like a high end nine K guy to a lot of people, even though he's simply been on fire. I mean, since the open championship, he hasn't finished outside the top 20, 21. And it seems like every week he's, he is extremely well-rounded. So the short game and the putting is great. And, and the ball striking is also, you could say elite. And for a guy that's been a really good putter through most of his career in the week that he won, that's where you're seeing the dark red around the putting. He lost nearly two shots and was still able to win. And and that speaks volumes to where his game is. So uh, I, I look at Sam Burns and I think he's deservingly the favorite and I'm going to get him in a lot of my lineups. He has basically checked off every single box. He's got the recent form. He's the best player in the field over everyone's last 24 rounds. He's great on Bermuda grass. He played well here last year. I I mean, there's just so much in the favor of Sam Burns. But see, I think that it kind of creates a situation where you know, he's only $200 more than Scotty Scheffler. Scheffler had a great week last week. Matthew Wolf has been showing signs of life again. How do you assume this 10K range breaks down in terms of popularity? That's a really good question. I I think it's going to be really top heavy from a popularity standpoint. I I could see it being kind of Sam Burns, Sung JM, Scotty Scheffler, and then Matt Wolf probably right behind that. Or I would say maybe Matthew Wolf and Cameron Smith, like kind of together right behind those guys. But I think, you know, Burns price is really high. And and the way you're constructing lineups to Greg's point, it's it's really hard to justify that, not because of the price, but because of the, the lineup construction that comes with the price. So, but I still think people will be latching on to him. I think people really like to play Scheffler. Um, they see him as a scorer, a birdie maker, and he's obviously coming off a pretty good week. So I think those top three are probably going to be the most popular in this range. Yeah, and he he is a birdie maker. There might not be a, a heck of a lot of uh, birdie streaks out there this week, but Scotty Scheffler is basically, if anybody with a sample size, the number one birdie streak guy. About a uh, little less than six-tenths of a birdie streak every time he tees it up. That's a lot. There might not be a lot of those out there this week. So, Greg, to put a capper on, on this 10K range, um, I think we're starting to find where the ownership is going here, but there seems to be a little bit of concern in Tony Finau. There seems to be a little bit of concern in Terrell Hatton. Are those Are those things warranted? Yeah, I, I do. I, I I do think so. I mean, I want to I want to jump on the Tony Finau wagon. I feel like there's it. It sounds like he should be really good, but whatever he found at the Northern Trust on the greens seems to have dissipated kind of quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and in his last two measured strokes gained rounds, he's he's lost over three and a half shots in both of them. And I don't like that regression this week. I, I do think putting is going to be fairly important. And from what we saw last year and just one, the one year we've been here at Memorial Park, putting has been rather important. And so that is uh, concerning to me. And then going with that, the results haven't been great. The BMW uh, tied 15th there was nice after a win. But remember, only a 70-person field. Tied 11th at the Tour Championship. That's middle of the pack. 
and then and then starting off this year two t45 finishes which aren't great so those are concerns to me if if you want to be a contrarian player here fina's not a bad option because he has all the skill set and the distance isn't going to make him flinch so i i like that I, he's a good short game player through his career but um the the putting would be my number one concern right now and that middle of the pack finish at the tour championship t11 i think he started third or second that week so it was actually yeah, it was seemingly much was worse than that. right yeah. he was eight under right behind uh that's a great point right behind patrick cantlay that's right the nine thousand dollar range this is a fascinating range and i don't know i i love sam burnsia and i love sung jm and I don't know if I can avoid the entire $10,000 range. And I usually don't. But man, I am in full enticement mode right now with this 9K range. Yeah, you're not going to get any argument from me, obviously, <laughs> when it comes to just rostering 9K guys and going down from there. I, I, there's there's so much to like here. I, I, there's I'll give a couple guys that I really like that I think the industry at large is really going to like. Then I'll give one play that I think is slightly contrarian. Okay, so first of all, Taylor Gooch and Aaron Wise. I mean, yeah. what what more can you say? We've talked about Aaron Wise over the last few weeks. I, I, we kind of know the argument there. He was 11th here last year. Um, but Taylor Gooch, you know, it's funny, Rick, because I know last year, maybe middle of the year, we're talking six, eight months ago, um, whether it was on your other show or I should say um, 300 Yards to Unknown or whether it was on this show, the, you, you kept talking about how, hey, Taylor Gooch is really respected among his peers. This guy is like, you know, he's just, he's on the verge, on the cusp of breaking out. And honestly, I, for me, I was like, yeah, I don't see it. You know, I just, I'm sorry, I don't see it. And, and you know, I was sort of like validating myself as each tournament went by because I was like, oh, he's been okay. He's been middling, no big deal. But now I think we're seeing what you were talking about. And so it's really hard to to just step away from Taylor Gooch and say, well, I don't want to play him, especially considering he was fourth here last year and here last year. I mean, at the here. Houston Open in 2020, which was not at this venue, he happened to be fourth as well, but he was fourth here at Memorial. So um there's not much to to dislike about Gooch and of course Wise. The one watch out with Wise, he was his accuracy was a little shaky last week, which I thought was just a slightly troubling. Here's the contrarian play, real quick though, and I think it'll be contrarian. Adam Scott at 9600. Talk about a great pivot off a very popular Taylor Gooch or Aaron Wise. I think Scott has maybe refound his form at the CJ Cup. He finished tied for fifth. Prior to that, tied for 35th, cut before that, tied for second, tied for 36th, 46th. He's tied for 13th before that. He's making cuts. Like Adam Scott's form is starting to round out. And if you actually look at the stats, long par fives, long par threes, DK points, birdie or better. Like this guy, other than off the tee, which has been a little shaky, we see it rebounding at the CJ Cup. I think this is a really smart play right here. He's making cuts and making putts, see ya, because that flat stick, look at this. I mean, he's just every single event – uh, except for the miscut at the Northern Trust, where he was basically a zero. He's gaining multiple strokes with that putter dating back to the PGA Championship. The approach play has been solid for six measured events of events in a row. So it is hard to find uh, anything to dislike about Adam Scott. Uh, Greg, we've got uh, we've got Brooks Kepka in this range. He's 9,900. Joaquin Neiman makes a big run last week. We've got our defending champion in this range. It really is a grab bag of anything that you could want. Yes. Uh, and for the record, I wrote down three names in this range. Well, I wrote down a lot of names. Uh, maybe it might be the whole range because they're all interesting. <laughs> and when I looked further into it, I, I, I came out with three names. And it was Adam Scott, who is actually first on my list, Taylor Gooch and Aaron Wise. So oh, I'm right there with you, Sia, in, in this range in the breakdown. But a couple of other guys that are really interesting. One Carlos Ortiz, because he's the winner last year. Are we really, are we really going to have it twice in a twice in a row? It, I, I, I don't think so. And and I do. I have some concerns with Ortiz beyond just the fact that he won last year, uh, and and they are with the putting. Which look, he came in second last week. He WD'd at the Zozo, but the putting has been a little concerning before that. The short game has also been concerning. And if you go back to what he did at the Houston Open last year, it was lights out around. I mean, he gained 5.68 around the green last year and gained 6.11 uh, 6 on the greens. Yeah. So that's a recipe for success. 
And I mentioned how he's a really good ball striker, although he had a, a tough stretch in the middle of the season last year. He's a really good iron player, and I, I could see him contending, but it's it's hard to envision him having that kind of week on and around the greens again this year. So maybe I'm wrong, but for that reason, and because I like those other three players in, in Gooch Wise and Scott so much, I'm kind of staying away. Um, but the biggest question mark, hmm, there are two question marks in this range for me. Um, and it's they they cap the range. Brooks Kepka and Patrick Reed. Mm-hmm. You start with Patrick Reed, you look at what he's done of late, and it's a lot of red in the upper left corner, which means the ball striking of recent form. But then in a non strokes gain event, you have a T2. So he's starting to hit it a little better. Well, it didn't show up again. At, it didn't show up again at Mayakoba. So I'm a little worried about that, but I, I love the makeup of a Patrick Reed. Are we going to get that T2 finish again? Maybe, but it's a complete fly. It, it feels like a complete flyer, but it's a big question because of his, his talent and because of the fingerprint of his game. And then Brooks Kepka is another really big question mark for me. Um, and I'm not too worried about the miscut last week. The big news of last week is all of a sudden he's a range rat. And and to use his own words, he said, I can I, I hit balls all day. And I, I'm not sure what happened to Brooks Kepka or what changed. But if he's working on his game and he's taking this event seriously, where he did have a, a tied tied fifth, I believe, last year, all of a sudden um, this could be a scary player and, and it can flip quickly. If you look at what he's done in the past, he doesn't practice. And then when he gets ready for a major, he does practice and he gets ready. It takes him two weeks. He'll play the week before and the result results may vary. Caution, warning, results may vary. And then in the major, he steps up big time and it's a really good week. So he can get ready quickly. And I wonder if last week was the week to shake the the wrist off, uh, shake the the wrist um, the rust off, excuse me. And all of a sudden, you're going to see Brooks Kepka pop. We have seen him pop. We've seen him win in the fall before, like he won at the CJ Cup. And I'm just wondering. This is not because he's a consultant of the golf course, but I just I, I wonder if we're going to see Brooks Kepka show up at this tournament, a tougher venue, and um, and and contend for a victory here. A long, difficult par 70 where maybe being a little bit long helps. He's a great putter on Bermuda grass. Sia, am I, how, how, how hard of a sell do I have to put on before you'd be interested in Brooks Kepka? Yeah, pretty hard sell only because I like so many other guys in the 9K range. I uh, I get the upside. And in GPPs, if you're playing, you know, five GPPs, one of them should have Brooks Kepka in them. And if you really like them, maybe three of them have them, you know, but I, I just... There's too many other guys that I, I think are in good form and have almost as good of upside as Brooks Kepka in terms of you know percentage of chance that they actually could win this thing that I'm just going to live somewhere else in the 9K range. Okay, yeah. see, I want to ask you a question on that, Sia. I think mm-hmm. it'll be fun. You have on Friday night, you have Aaron Wise and Brooks Kepka in tied third. Uh, who are you going with from there? Aaron Wise and uh, they're tied for third on Friday night. Um, yeah, they're, well, I they're would go with, three shots back. Okay, uh, I would go with Brooks Kepka at that point. Um, and how about Adam Scott? Same scenario. Still Brooks Kepka. And then what about um, what about Taylor Gooch? Still Brooks Kepka. But but that that's that's such a big premise that we're working. It's a off huge. Of, it's a huge start premise. Well. It's yeah. a huge it, premise. And that's what I'm most afraid of when it comes to Brooks right. Kepka, frankly, right. right now. But it's an interesting game because if he does yeah. start well and he gets in the mix, you, you wish you had him on your team. That's a really so good point, actually. It, yeah. It's a it's a real challenge for me because I, I don't know what I'm going to get. And I wonder if something's changed in his mind. So it's going to be a, one of those Wednesday night things for me where I'm teetering on the brink. It'll actually happen tomorrow because I'll wonder for a best bet or for a one and done if Brooks Kepka. Mm-hmm. He's not in the mix for a one and done because it's not a major, but I, I just, I don't know what we're going to get. And I think he could win of the players in the nine K range who played this event at Memorial park last year. So there's only one year Brooks finished fifth. Adam Scott finished 32nd. Taylor Gooch finished fourth. Aaron wise finished 11th and Carlos Ruiz 
won it. So that is one heck of a one year recent history from the 9K range. Impressive stuff. And I will probably be building uh, lots of lineups that start in that range. We have to go down to the 8K. Fascinating plays in the 8K. There's one at the 6K range that we got to get to that I have to talk about. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're back. This $8,000 range, it's small. It's very small. Russell Henley, Jason Kokrak, Mark Leishman, and Christian Bezadenhout at the top. Then we flip to the middle with Maverick McNeely and Seamus Power. In the bottom of this range brings us Cameron Trigale, Shane Lowry, Lonto Griffin, and Max Homa. Sia Najat, uh, I think there's a couple of, well, I think there's one really interesting play. I think there's one sneaky play, and I think there's a lot of other things that I could be interested in depending on where you take me right now. <laughs> yeah, so I'll give you, again, this isn't on purpose, but there's two guys I like, and then there's there's another guy that I think will be maybe slightly contrarian. And Rick, that might be where you were going with the, the sneaky play, so we'll see. Um, actually, I'm thinking now that I look at it, you're thinking of somebody else, but let's let's get started. Ma- Mav McNeely, I do like. Mav and, and Seamus Power are the guys I probably like the most in that sort of mid to upper 8K range, but they're not my favorite in this range. I'm about to tell you who that is, but just real quick on Mad McNeely. Uh, he has been playing well. He's good off the tee, which I, we, we know is going to be important here. He's also good in difficult scoring conditions. It, it, he's just a guy I've been leaning on as of late, and it's largely paid off if you look at his recent form. 20th here in 2021, you can't really argue with that. As far as Seamus Power is concerned, I mean, he's been good. He hasn't been, like the upside might not be there yet i mean he hasn't really just like really cashed in but he's been super consistent and i i see him doing really well on this track uh, there's just there's no downside to me with seamus power in terms of the floor he does it again seamus power does it again let's go back let's go back people byron nelson that was in may one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve he's played 12 events since the byron nelson he has three four five six seven eight top 20s and a t21 which i won't even count so eight out of 12 top 20 for seamus power mostly via the ball striking we don't know about the last two weeks but we can assume because i what i did see from him uh he missed every single putt. so i'm going to assume it was via ball striking seamus power continues to be exactly what we expect him to be okay greg your crack at this range uh i agree with sia mcneely's been super solid probably more solid than people realize seamus has been great where are you going here uh, my top play, and there are some really interesting options. I, I think um, I think Russell Henley is interesting. Uh, Mark Leishman and Christian Bezidenhout are interesting. McNeely and Power, they're all viable options. The guy that really has my interest in this range is Shane Lowry. Yeah, uh, that, and, that was, for the record, that was my my sneaky guy, uh, contrarian guy. Look at this, Greg we're on Doak. the same, pa- we're on yeah, the same page amazing. here today. So Shane Lowry is so interesting to me because I think he's really an underrated iron player and ball striker. And you start to look at some of these. I mean, it's since basically since the players, Mm -hmm. he has been dark green and in the approach category every single week, except for one. Now it happens to be a recent one, but does that mean that he's heading into a slump? I, I don't really think so. And then the short game is also something that's very positive to me. So I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at Shane Lowry as a guy who is going to be sneaky, especially with some of those other players who have been playing so great of late. Uh, and and I think the course fit is really strong. So um, and then 
he also he played here last year and it went quite well. He was tied 11th. So I, I like all of those elements for Shane Lowry. And and the recent form is a little bit overrated, in my opinion. I don't think it's a huge concern. I don't think in that tied 11th finish last year, it was anything out of the ordinary for him. You look at what he did. He lost 1.3 strokes putting. And and that's a, a tied 11th finish. So I, I I think he's maybe even putting better than that, if anything. So I'm I'm really I'm really liking Shane Lowry, and he may be my number one in this range. Before the CJ Cup, where he lost a stroke and a half on approach, he had gained in like 12 consecutive measured events in that category, which is a really, really good sign and much improved on what we have seen from different versions of Shane Lowry over the years. Um, let me throw a couple names at you gentlemen here. One, let's start with Russell Henley. So what I've punched into the Holy Grail here, Sia, is par 70s over 7,250 yards. It was an arbitrary number that I came up with in my head, but I said, give me long par 70s. And if you start to look at the names that have had success on these courses, it starts to make sense. Matthew Wolf. 12 rounds. He's number one. Taylor Pendrith, only four rounds. That was the 2020 US Open. He's next. Brooks Kepka, obviously great in these situations. Henrik Stenson, Scotty Scheffler, and Russell Henley, which is not a name that I would have. You could have given me a hundred guesses in, in this kind of filter. And I don't think I would have gotten to Russell Henley, who has played 13 such events, has never lost strokes to the field has piled up top 10 finishes. Um, am I crazy for being interested in Russell Henley this week? No, and for the record, I'm surprised as well. He rates out this well. I mean, he's he's literally just putting the complete game together. And that's a, that's a really big sample size of rounds. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with Russell Henley at all. And to your point, I think he's he's going to go relatively ignored in this particular field, in this particular tournament, because I think people will just be more inclined to pay up to Aaron Wise or Taylor Gooch and find the 400 that they're missing, you know, somewhere else. Or, you know, there's not a lot of pay down options that, that will be super popular. But you, I think a lot of people will go down to like Seamus Power or go up to Gooch or Wise. So he might get uh, overlooked. And the other thing is you, you look at his recent form and you see the T21 at the Shriners and the T25 at the CJ Cup and then T56 at Mayakoba. But you look a little bit closer and he shot 65, 69. He was right in the mix. He shot 76. He shot 76 on Saturday. And that to me is a good sign it, because it's going to throw some people off because they're going to look at the T56. And they're not going to look close. And and he content. He was in in contention. He's in he's in our Friday night debate with Brooks Kepka, right? Which is uh, it's a step to getting there. And mm. and then he played a, a very solid round on Sunday. And I, I think that was an anomaly more than anything else. So I I love the Henley play. The one issue you may take with it is that he's at eighty nine hundred. And so in lineup construction, does that mean you're going to have to miss someone from? the nine K range, um, or, or start in the nine K range. You might be, you might put yourself in one of those boats, which, which might be a downside. It's, it is an interesting roster construction situation. Uh, Greg, I'll throw this right back to you because you made a comment about not necessarily caring about recent form, uh, which gets me a little bit excited about Jason Kokrak because he has been, he's been objectively bad. I'm sure he'll be the first to tell you that over the past couple of starts, but I feel like on paper, the way that Kokrak plays when he's going well, hits it long off the tee, gains a lot of strokes there, this newfound putter over the last year or so, this this should be a pretty good spot for him at Memorial, but I, I'm staring at a lot of a lot of red in a lot of categories. Yes, which is a concern. It's definitely a concern. Um, and I'm I'm worried most about his ball striking, which hasn't it's typically something that is very good for him. And it's been a little bit subpar it's actually a little better than when i was looking earlier it, i re, i feel like i i remember a little bit more red right there in the upper left but so it, it's maybe not as bad as i thought um but again you, the the positive recent starts you see tour championship and bmw or those limited field events on courses that i think were even better for him so i i, I do have my concerns it's not that i don't care about recent form I just feel like there are some players, 
like Shane Lowry, where it's it's one, it's a lot of good, one bad week, and then a non-stroke scan week, and it's easy to it it looks worse than it is. I'm not sure it's the same scenario for Jason Kokrak. And I haven't seen a lot of evidence to say he's he's ready to pop. So I, I don't feel as good about him as I do about Shane Lowry. Um, but there there are a lot of good things fingerprint wise, that's for sure. I, I mean, it'd be probably a contrarian play. And you could you could find plenty of reasons to play him. Every golfer that we have talked about to this point, and every golfer in any of these pricing tiers, eight thousand dollars and up, it actually goes down to seventy seven hundred. Either did not play this event last year, or made the cut. So it's not like you're looking at a lot of expensive guys that in the one year of history see a miss the cut or anything like that. I mean, there's really just, I know it's a small sample size, but all of these guys who played played well last year. You don't always see that. True. And honestly, like if a guy finished, you know, 35th or something like that, I don't know that I'd pay too much attention to it, but I, I do pay if there were like top 10 or somewhere in the top 15. I mean, I think there's something to look at there. So it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I, is I'm curious. Is that something you were paying attention to? Uh, no, I literally uh, no, not really. Okay. I, I literally just know. I just noticed it because I was looking as I was scrolling down, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I finally found the first guy who missed the cut last year is Brandon Grace at seventy six hundred. That this might be normal. I just I just thought it stood out to me. I I think there's a simple reason why. And again, I go back to this. The scenario last year was different. And we were leading to the masters. So all these guys who are there 8,000 and up for a reason, they're really good players and they're playing for something. And, and it means a lot that they go and contend well, their game really matters. And it matters for more than just if I win in the fall, it improves my chances to make the tour championship in September. They're getting ready for a major championship. And so there's a uh, an intensity level in the practice and in the preparation that is elevated a little bit. And I, I actually, I, I kind of feel like the fall swing needs a crescendo, needs a elevated event at the end of the fall swing. And I just, I think it would help all these events in the, in the meantime. And I know you're competing against football and I know that it's a long season, but if there was something at the end of the fall, it would really, I, I think it would really help events like this. Um, and, and I get that obviously from the masters last year, but maybe that's a topic for another day. That would be an off season topic, uh, conversation that we can, that we can have. Yeah. $7,000 range. Here we go. Massive $7,000 range. It starts with the likes of Mackenzie Hughes, EVR, HV3. Wow. EVR, HV3, back to back. Mito Pereira. Mm -hmm. Brandon Grace goes all the way down to, let's see, Joel Damon, Keith Mitchell, Lee Westwood, Martin Laird. So Sia, we finally enter the range where guys played this last year and missed the cut. We have a lot of names to sort through. Reach in and pick me out a couple of these. Yeah, so a couple. Well, I'll start with Mito Pereira. I, I think he's really interesting coming off the missed cut. I'm just super interested in what his ownership is going to be. I still like him here uh, in spite of you know a, just a bad tournament last week. I do think in, I mean, look at this. I mean, listen, if you're watching us on YouTube, it's just it's just a bunch of green other than the putter. Um, I still have plenty of faith in Mito at that price. So I'm good with that. What I did want to say, though, I think a nice pivot off of, uh, and I, I don't expect this guy to be chalky like he normally is in the 7K range, but I think Harold Varner III is actually a pretty good pivot here. He rates out really well. I mean, long par fours isn't great. Long par fives, it's not great. But everything else really measures out birdie or better, you know, top 20, long par threes, um, approach game, you know, T to green. It, it's all pretty good relative to his price. So I think that's a really interesting pivot in the 7K range. And yeah, look at these approach numbers over the last, what is that, six tournaments. They're excellent. He's been good, relatively good off the tee. The putter can really spike, which of course, that's what we're looking for. And his around the green game is good. I mean, he's He's pretty great at, at really kind of everything. So at 7,700, I think he's a really nice pivot. Um, outside of that, I, I don't love the 7K range too much until you get down to the lower 7K range. And that's where I pick off guys that I play quite a bit, like Henrik Norlander, for example. I think 
it could be a good time in a big GPP to take a shot at Ryan Palmer, who's starting to make cuts again. We don't have the strokes gain data on a lot of these cuts he's making, which almost makes it better in, in the sense of playing like him as a dart in a big GPP. So those are the two guys I like towards the bottom. Um, if I had to locate one other 7K yeah, guy. That's actually, that's actually pretty ahead. funny about Palmer, though. Like the lack of data, it, it is interesting, right? So, okay. So so what Sia is alluding to is a T44 at the Zozo Championship, a T27 at Mayakoba, starting to show signs of life again. But what's interesting, Sia, and I think this is your point, if he would have gained nine strokes ball striking in these two events and and lost with the putter, everyone would be interested uh, mm -hmm. or at least people who are running the models. But because we don't know how he did it, people are still going to stay away from him when it might've been really, really good. Right. I mean, look, the last <laughs> time he made two cuts in a row, I mean, you, you got to go back a ways. Yeah. Back to the uh, AT&T and Byron Nelson and the, well, what is it? The, the Valspar, Valspar where yeah. he didn't finish nearly as well as he did the last two tournaments. Not that it's like anything groundbreaking that you finished tied for 27th and tied for 44th, but relative to where he was and relative to his price, uh, it, yeah, if we had those strokes gain numbers, I mean, what would they be? We don't know. Well, maybe we'll find out this week. Hmm, interesting little dynamic there. Okay, Greg, let's see what we can find in this uh, $7,000 range. There's a couple of guys who uh, broke my heart last week. One is uh, Emiliano Grillo. I'm not ready. I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready to forgive and forget yet, but what do you see out of this pricing tier? For starters, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's clear now that Sia is stealing my notes. Because uh, Harold Var Harold Varda the third is jumping off the page to me, and there's a few reasons why. Not just the things like Sia mentioned how good his approach game has been and how the putter can pop, but last year he came in tied 15th, and he lost two nearly two and a half strokes putting, and so he did it with his with his iron play, which was very good. He gained six and a half strokes approaching the green and around the green, he gained uh, um, nearly four, 3.8. So, but the, the cool part about that is that's not incredibly unique for him. He gains over four, you know, over, over two, over three strokes approaching the green regularly. And he has had his, you know, some weeks of struggle around the green, but it's really been quite good of late as well. So because of those two areas, I am very confident in, uh, in Harold Varna, the third, which doesn't happen all that often for me. The other thing is he's been gaining a little more. He's starting to get a little better off the tee. There have been some weeks where he's been great off the tee at, um, last year in Houston, he, he lost off the tee a little bit too. So, uh, for all those reasons, I think Harold Varner can repeat that or improve on that performance, which is a really good sign. And then the other guys that I have written down, one of them is at the top of this range and it's Mackenzie Hughes. And the other one is, I think you, I think you guys will like this and I'd like to start here. It's Harry Higgs. Hmm. And the Harry hit, the reason for Harry Higgs is uh, well, he didn't play last year, but what he what he has done is some pretty cool stuff around the greens. And I, I think that's going to be really important. So he's gained off the tee last two measured events. He's gained approaching the green, which has led to some nice finishes, uh, but around the green, he's been very good for, uh, for quite some time now. So I, I think all those things kind of work in his favor and there could be a week where he, where he puts it together sometime soon. These uh, greens are like, uh, I wish I had the stat in front of me, but if you miss the fairway, you are unlikely to hit the green. Uh, I believe bottom five on the PGA Tour, something like sub 40%. So they're, if you're not playing out of the fairway, which a lot of guys probably won't, you are going to be tapping into that around the green game, which is, of course, a counting stat. There's a lot of intricacies into it, but Harry Higgs has been very, very good at getting up and down, especially here recently, and you're seeing that actually kind of carry him to some of these results. Uh, do you want to bop over to Mackenzie Hughes here for a second, Greg? Yeah. Because uh, he is someone that we have talked about uh, countless times as being a popper, and now we're starting to see good play from him again. He hasn't missed a cut since... Ooh, since the U.S. Open, he was the fifty. He was the fifty-four hole co-leader at the U.S. Open. Finished T fifteen. Don't worry about that. But has not missed a cut since then. See, this is almost like a 
this is the reason why he's a popper too. It, this is like the Christmas tree that Kyle Stanley's page on rickrungood.com <laughs> is. It's this backwards. Yeah. And everything that he gains is around the greens and on the greens. And what we normally see in that environment is a very volatile finishes. With Mackenzie Hughes, it seems to be tougher venues where he he steps up and performs quite well. I, I think back to the BMW Championship in the playoffs, um, not not the most recent playoffs, the one before that. There, there, um, the, the Arnold Palmer Invitational events like that, where he has a tendency of performing quite well. And so I, I really like that aspect of him. And I, I think when you look at the model and the the stat Rick just gave about how many greens are going to be missed, especially if you miss the fairways. And again, you're going to miss fairways because it's it's long. So you're going to hit drivers. You're going to hit a lot of drivers because distance will be important as well. And so now you're going to miss fairways. Now you're going to miss greens. Now you got to lean on that around the green game, which falls right into the hands of our boy. And what happened last year? Well, he lost off the tee. He gained approaching the green. He gained around the green and he gained seven strokes putting. And, and that's what it's going to take. That's what it takes for him to finish in tied seventh. And I think he can do it again. And I don't think he's going to have to go make a ton of birdies in order to get there. So if, if this event plays out like it did last year, where you have a winning score in the mid teens and a double digit under par is a top 10 finish, then I really like Mackenzie Hughes. If it's if it's a lot softer and it's a 20 under par winner and you got to get to 17 under for a top 10 or 15 under for a top 10, I like Mackenzie Hughes a lot less, but I I do think it's going to play difficult. Okay. I like this. I like where we're headed here. Let's uh, round this out with the $6,000 range. Gentlemen, there are six golfers at $6,900. Aaron Rye, Luke List, Russell Knox, Sahith Tagala. Stuart Sink, Tom Hoagie goes all the way down. Let's see those mid price guys this week. Sean Stephanie, Sung Yul No, Richie Warinsky, Paul Barjan. I'm gonna have to talk about Paul Barjan, Martin Trainer, Kevin Cra uh, Kelly Craft, excuse me. Um, oh, Chase Kepka. See ya. Mm. The other Kepka brother here. Uh, I don't know what he's been up to, but he's the min price. I don't I don't think we want to roster him this week. Oh, first of all, the Zach Johnson down there, that's not the Zach Johnson. That's a different Zach Johnson, correct? No, this is the Zach Johnson, I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah. All right. I, for are some you, reason, I thought interested? there might be two Zach Johnsons. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he comes over. No, there are, but he comes over as Zach J. Johnson. Uh, the other one does. Yeah, this is, let me see. Yeah, that's okay. him. T50 I mean, last year. I know he's not exactly a course fit, but what is Zach Johnson doing at 6,100? Am I missing something? Uh, well, well, I mean, there's a three letter word next to his name. That's happened three weeks in a row, four out of still, five though. I just, that's just seems a little weird to me. I think he'd at least be at like 6,800 or something. That's just seems odd. Um, it's probably going to be of, a hall of famer. Speaking, speaking that's of right. the 6k range and guys, I might be willing to take a chance on, let me ask you guys real quick. There's only like one or two guys I like in this range. So, but I want to ask you about this guy first. Have we just decided that Francesco Molinari isn't good at golf anymore? Because I believe he's 6,600, and I don't know. I, I might be willing to take a chance on Francesco. I I don't know what I've decided. Uh, I think I'm leaning that way. He played well here last year, so T15 last year. Hasn't done all that much since. Bermuda is his best surface, though. I just I run myself in circles, Greg, trying to figure out what to do with Francesco Molinari. I think that... Um, Really, the good side of never playing Francesco Molinari is that as long as he doesn't win, you probably didn't get you probably didn't get killed by it. So I've just been avoiding it for a while. Yeah, I guess the big question is: last week we talked about maybe it was two weeks ago we talked about how he kind of had to be six for six, right? And and that has a. You think this could be a five for six week? Could you do? Could could you do really yes. well about a six? I do because I think lineup construction it's a lot harder this week and if you're if you're doing anything significant at the top in the 10k 9k range you're just going to have to dip down low and I think that's going to be yeah. most of the roster constructions. So if you if you do that and you're going to take a chance there's reason to take that chance. 
you're going on name recognition, talent, ability, performance last year, um, style of the golf course. All that does go in Francesco Molinari's favor, but it's a, it's risky. And if I if I need if I'm taking a risk a little higher in the low sevens or something, and I I, I need a, a safer six, or, 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 you know, make a, a guy who I feel really confident is going to make the cut. I'm not I'm not going to Molinari. Yeah. I I'm honestly the, the only guy I, I really like here. There's a couple guys I have in mind that I don't really think I'm going to roster much. Kyle Stanley's one of them. Scott Piercy is another one of them. Um, a classic first round leader play or showdown play, not necessarily four rounds worth, but yeah, 32nd last year here isn't bad for a guy that's 6,700, but the guy I like the most is to hit the gala. I mean, I don't think we've seen his, we, I don't think we've captured his upside yet. And honestly, by this time next year, the gala could be like 8,600 for all we know. And, and I, I just think he's on an upward trajectory that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, we really don't know what he is. Uh, he's been exciting at times. He's been terrible at times. I love raw mm-hmm. talent is obviously is obviously there. It's it's a valid point. Um, I'll throw out. I've got a. I'm lukewarm on these guys. Um, Adam Long has continued his trend of top thirty or missed cut. This goes back like 23 events. It's kind of unbelievable. He either misses the cut or finishes inside the top 30. Top 30 last week, uh, finished 11th here last year. So maybe he's got one more rabbit in the hat. The other one is, uh, and Greg, I think you might like this, Denny McCarthy. Mm -hmm. We are starting to see some signs of life. And Denny is by far the best Bermuda putter on the face of the planet. Um, So that's another one. And then my other one is... Oh, okay. I'll save that one. Uh, Greg, who else? Before I before I spoil that one, who else do we have in this six K range? Um, Adam Long was my top guy in this range. Oh, okay, cool. So I um I like that. I like the the recent form. I like the top twenty. I like the uh, the result last year. I I think it could be a good fit. Um, the other guys I had, one of them was actually Scott Piercy, who is interesting. Again, this this is. Maybe a little safer than than the um, Francesco Molinari play, but there's something really interesting about Scott Piercy. If you just look at his putting, there's a ton of red, but you go to go to the ones that are green, and then look over at the, and then you look over at the result. And every time yeah. he gains putting, it's a really solid result. And for a guy at 6,700, that's not a bad hinge point. It's not a bad something to lean on. Um, so if he puts well, it'll be a good finish. If he doesn't, it's probably going to be a miscut or the, or a, a really disappointing finish. And I don't mind that at that price. Yeah, this is okay. So this is what Kyle Stanley doesn't do, right? So when when yeah. Piercy finally puts, he gets you a top twenty or a top fifteen or whatever. When Kyle Stanley finally puts, he finishes t forty one. It's right. just like it's so. He never cashes in on the ceiling weeks. Well, that maybe he is because that, that's the ceiling. Uh, well, yeah, for no, you're right. For he, sure. yeah. Kyle Stanley is probably the tightest difference between the ceiling and the floor <laughs> of anybody out there. Right. I mean, that guy's got to be three feet tall living in his house. There's no room in between. You're talking about 61st. Uh, or 41st it's look at this stretch 23rd and everything basically between 23rd and 41st he just looks one week (laughs) one week of a of a t8 just that here's the last okay here's the last uh oh my god i have to go back so far here's the last three times kyle stanley has gained strokes putting t39 t32 cut and I had to go back to yeah. January of 2020 to find three oh. occasions in which Kyle Stanley <laughs> gained strokes with the putter. It pains That's- me because I'm such a big fan of his. I, I love watching him play. He should be so much. He should be so much better than that. He's got a, I don't know. Maybe he had, we don't see him on TV. Maybe he's, he is trying arm lock, but if I were him, I'd be arm lock claw bouncing around putting coaches i'd be just trying throwing just, the kitchen sink at it because I'd, that's i'd the try left-handed for. just flip around and go lefty try anything eyes, man eyes closed sergio style yeah try it it's all. gotta be better uh all right how about 
I, I have this soapbox issue, and I don't think it's actually worth like an actual soapbox. But Paul Barjan is the min price, and I don't know who is setting. So this is across um, like DraftKings Sportsbook too, because really like their salaries come from basically like their sports books here, right? Like they set the odds and then they just kind of like work, work their way down from there. And Barjan has always, he's been like 500 to one for every tournament that he's played. And he should probably be like 150 to one, which I know he's, it still doesn't matter. He's still not going to win, but like, it's wrong. I mean, this guy is, he won on the corn Ferry last year. He's made both his cuts on PGA tour this season. You go back to three starts ago was in the corn Ferry playoffs. He finished T four he's being priced with. And again, I don't love throwing these guys under the bus, but he's being priced with Martin trainer who has that three letter word, uh, almost mm -hmm. exclusively next to his name. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, if you were going to take a shot at somebody like that, this would be the tournament to do it. And what I mean by that is, if you really want to stack up top and just grab a 6K guy and, and hope to get lucky. I mean, I, I've never played Paul Barjon. I don't have a lot of experience of, of him uh, hurting my feelings and, and, you know, missing out on a six for six. But th I mean, th those numbers look pretty good to your point. I, I, I don't know. I don't even, I don't understand why he's at 6,100 or whatever. It, it's, it seems like, okay, right. So it seems like a bug in the system and it doesn't matter because you should probably just be like 6,700. It's not that big of a deal, but it, to me, it is also still a big deal because it's happening. It's happening each week, Craig. And it's like, I, yeah. I if he makes the cut at 6,000, I'm, I'm pretty thrilled with it. And here's the other thing, lineup construction wise, when you, when you have, like you, you mentioned this, Rick, the, all the guys 8,000 and above made the cut last year. And that tells you that the better players play better here. So mm -hmm. that in a way it, it's not like at the, at uh, some events, like the players championship, you get a ton of volatility and good players play bad and bad players play good. And it, it, relatively speaking of course and, and you don't know there's not a real identity to it but it seems like even in just one event here there is an identity and and the stars are going to come out to play so if you're looking for a way to get which you probably should be i mean you guys think this is more stars and scrubs as much as you can you try to he could be a huge help to your lineup and actually and a, a cut just can win greg to your point it actually might be the opposite because just like Rick pointed out, once you get down to like 7,700, that's where you find, you know, below 7,700 is where guys start missing the cut. I mean, it's, yep. again, we only have a one year of a track record here at, at this particular course, but it seems to me like a balanced build. A would be slightly contrarian because people are just going to gravitate to those, at least one of those top guys. And, and B will just be a different type of balanced ro roster construction that actually might get six for six through the cut. So I actually think, uh, you know, for me, now that now that you've sort of talked it through, if I'm building 10 lineups and I just can't help myself and I have to have some of these top guys in it, like Sam Burns or Sung JM or even Cam Smith, I might do five lineups like that. And then five lineups where it's like super, super balanced with like 8K guys, maybe, you know, one or two upper 8K, maybe maybe one guys in the in the 9K range, but I don't go lower than like that 7,700, 7,600 range. Interesting. I like that. I like that thought. Um, but if you, I don't, maybe there's a way to do both where you're, you're, um, meat and potatoes on the middle there, you get a Paul Barjon in there and it allows you to have five out of six are balanced, but you have Paul Barjon and Sam Burns or something like that. I, I don't know. I got to play around with that a little bit, but it's an interesting yeah. idea. I might just bet Sam Burns and then avoid the 10 K range in fantasy. Yeah feels like kind of the way to go uh probably gonna have to burn oh burn sam burns in one and done this week nice. as well mm. Ooh. um additionally this trophy for the houston open it's fine but the logo <laughs> see when they 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 basically tap into like the old school houston astros logo oh. it's got that same like color scheme and it's like yeah. it, it it does it for me for sure those must be like houston colors then right i mean i that that That's a good question. Well, I don't know. Like the only city that I know that has like colors would be like Pittsburgh where all of their teams are black and gold or black and yellow. I don't right. know if there's another city. What about really uh, Washington, DC? Everybody red, white, and blue there. So the, not well, really that... Washington football teams, maroon. And oh gold. yeah. Yeah. 
I, I right. forgot about right that. There. I forgot what else do they? Oh, the Wizards. The Wizards are red, white, and blue, right? The Capitals. Yep. That Capitals makes sense. are red, white, the and Nationals. blue. Nationals. The Nationals are red, white, and blue. You would think all they would all be red, white, and blue, but to be fair, the Washington Football Team does play in Maryland, so <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> they don't even count. Don't but DC is Maryland. DC is Maryland. Play in DC. That's pretty much true. Uh, I got to make a definitive list of logos and trophies it's been it's been on my list but it's all it's all up here gentlemen don't worry about it coming coming soon maybe in the off season i think that'll do it let me give a big thanks to producer jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes that right there sia najad you can find him on twitter at sia najad that's greg Ducharme. you can find him on twitter at the real gfd don't be confused he's the real one and you can find me at rick run good this has been the first cut and we'll catch you next time